Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back inside the Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. Josh Shaw, Ryan Buckeye, talking a topic of, uh, it's, it's a topic that rubs people either the wrong way because they maybe don't understand it, um, and, and people are very, I don't know, Josh, I mean, you, you, you work with a lot of supplement brands, but we're going to talk about basically exclusives. And, and what we're going to start by talking about is basically exclusives with retailers, whether it's brick and mortar, whether it's online. Um, this conversation may evolve into exclusive licensing deals. I mean, we could spread out to that, but primarily it's like the exclusivities with, say, a bodybuilding.com or a GNC, because we've all worked, you and I have both worked with brands that have done both. And the good, the bad, the indifferent, and maybe what people don't fully understand because, for instance, today, and we're recording this early, like we posted a, a brand, made an exclusive deal with bodybuilding.com, and the online community kind of up in arms saying the brand sold out. They sold out by going to bodybuilding.com because for two reasons. One, they have to reformulate some of their products to be 100% compliant, which we can talk about that. Uh, but two, consumers think because they go and partner with an online retailer or maybe even a brick-and-mortar retailer like GNC that the brand's going to water down the products. So... I want to use this platform as a, a place to educate those who listen, those who watch, and even some of the supplement retailers out there, because I guarantee, Josh, there are store owners who listen to this, and they hate the online exclusives, and they hate the exclusivities, too, because, A, they don't have access to it, but they might also have a misunderstanding on what this actually means. Yeah, it's interesting, especially with like the Bodybuilding.com exclusive, like the commentary online, because it was never really that way. Everybody had access to bodybuilding.com, you know, maybe five years ago, they used to carry, you know, six, seven, 800 brands. And now it's probably a third of that at this mm -hmm. point, but you used to have like GNC or vitamin shop, or maybe even like Walmart or, or something of that level. But it never really rolled down to like bodybuilding.com. Bodybuilding.com was not seen as a retailer where people sold out. It was just one that everybody went to. And that's because like channel strategies has changed recently. And everybody kind of the edgier brands or the brands that a lot of your followers talk about constantly. A lot of them are direct to consumer mostly, or maybe they have some niche um, brick and mortar retailers that they work with, or maybe some small internet retailers, but that's it. They don't really focus outside of that. And they kind of keep their edginess that way because they don't have to deal with a lot of compliance or they don't have to deal with a lot of the hurdles that a lot of these larger retailers um, now have to kind of demand. Right. And a lot of that comes down to just pure liability when you are the biggest uh, online retailer, the biggest retailer, brick and mortar or whatever, odds are a government agency is going to look at you first to make a, a name out of themselves and, and kind of look at you as you should be upholding certain internal controls or certain procedures or processes that everything should be on the up and up. So mm -hmm. I understand a little bit from what a consumer's looking at because you think about, you know, when you uh, find your favorite band or something and, and, you know, then they start to be on the radio and you're like, oh, they're, you know, they're not as cool as they used to be or, or yeah. whatever it is. And it's kind of that way where now everybody's going to have access to these brands. They're not as cool, or at least maybe in the eyes of the people that spotted them early. And in the case of like supplements, it's, you know, are they going to water down the formulas? And I don't know the specific case that you're talking about, but I know that at least from some of the things I looked at from formula wise, I mean, they're going to have to do some reformulation to get on bodybuilding.com. Mm -hmm. So I can understand from a consumer standpoint, they don't like change, if, especially if they found a pre-workout or something that they really like, 
they don't want it to be watered down now because they have to be on bodybuilding.com and they have to have certain type of um, compliance uh, levels reached. Let's expand on that compliance topic real quick, just so people understand at home. To be compliant, if you're non-compliant to bodybuilding.com, you're non-compliant to GNC, that doesn't mean you have an illegal product. That does not mean you have illegal ingredients. I think, for instance, GNC does not carry products, or had not, I think they're changing their stance on this, carry products that had synephrine in it, um, or synephrine HCL, which is a synthetic version of synephrine, basically made in the lab. Um, there was a, a Ghost, which is a GNC exclusive brand. Okay, they created a fat burner called Ghost Burn that used synephrine. GNC wouldn't bring it in because it's just an ingredient that they didn't allow. Now they're changing their tune on it. it synephrine is nowhere to be found in terms of the FDA dietary advisory supplement ingredient list. It, there's no warning letters sent out on it. There's no um, legalities to using synephrine, but. Corporate companies and, and, and corporations can make their own rules. So um, bodybuilding.com, same thing too. Like you look at some of these retailers, they have to they go by gross data as well. So for instance, uh, there was a brand that had I think 110 milligrams of dynamine in it. Well, that was above the 104 milligram gross data that that supported dynamine. So therefore, they wouldn't carry that particular skew. It doesn't mean it's unsafe. It doesn't mean it's illegal, but it's just policies that those brands have. So that's one thing I want to make sure people are well aware of is, you know, if the products are not allowed on BBCom or not allowed in Vitamin Shop or GNC, it, it doesn't mean it's illegal. So you don't have to like freak out and think it's a dangerous product for you. It's just they choose not to carry SKUs or products that have those set ingredients. Now, in this case, and we can use this because it's a real life example today, is like, yeah, they have to reformulate. They have to remove an ingredient called DMHA, which... We could have a whole podcast on exotic stimulants, but uh, I think there's a, a small portion of the online community, and we've talked about this before, Josh, who are the loudest. They're the ones who will, especially the stim junkies, they're the ones who are going to be up in arms about uh, a brand removing a gray area ingredient from their formula because they believe that the only reason that product is effective is because of that singular ingredient. I, people, like there are, in this particular formula, I think there's like 16 ingredients how do you know one of 16 is the only reason that thing actually works? Like, they don't give it a chance, Josh, because the communities, the online communities, the marketing companies, the brands, they hype up these singular ingredients like it's the end-all, be-all, and then other brands suffer the wrath if they decide to get smart and become compliant for the longevity of their brand. Yeah, these sensory ingredients, especially like stimulants and stuff, it's easy to point to, and that's because you don't really have to um, have a bunch of research done mm -hmm. on like synergistic um, you know, ingredients going together or, or some type of things that as was in, in the industry a long time ago. Now it's kind of pointed towards what can we sensationalize the most. And it usually comes down to uh, stimulants. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do we come up with these designer things that'll uh, mimic uh, Adderall or, or crack cocaine or whatever it is that people are trying to get to. It's, um, it's just an easy way out, and the online community is is kind of easy to point to as well because they're like, well, that's what I want because that's what I can feel, and they don't need to have some crazy understanding of how certain ingredients maybe have some synergistic effects, and the brand's actually spending the money to have the studies done on those synergistic effects. There's none of that that's going on, so a lot of it's just point towards the easiest thing possible. Mm -hmm. um, so... It's the unfortunate thing, I guess, about this industry, but kind of taking this back to like exclusives, um, there's a lot of different, I guess, people might maybe not understand 
the totality of, of what we're talking about when we're talking about exclusives. And it could be just like channel exclusives. And what mm-hmm. we're talking about here is just, you know, maybe just online exclusive. We're talking maybe bodybuilding.com is the only online retailer other than maybe their direct to consumer site, or it could be something that's just like a physical brick and mortar retailer, like GNC only or vitamin shop only, or it could be maybe an international exclusive, or it could just be like some, this basic variant. Yeah. Um, that you make for a specific uh, retailer that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like a, a whole product. It could just be like a flavor variant or Costco's notorious for doing like <laughs> multi-packs yep. um, or like bigger sizes where like 40 count or 50 count where normally it's only a 30 count because they want to try to get a value in there. Um, so there's a ton of different ways that people can look at exclusives. There's not just, you know, a channel. There's also like flavors. There's um, international, domestic. There's all kinds of different ways to kind of look at this, and it's not um, a new thing. It's mm. definitely not a new thing in our industry. It's been going on for a while, and there's kind of a reason why uh, brands do this, and there's also a reason why um, retailers do this. Yeah, retailers n- do this because they're looking to get like some aspect of an exclusive experience, like. They want something that nobody else can have, so mm-hmm. you have to go there. And then a brand wanting to be on shelf at a certain retailer, they tend to come out with some exclusive product for them because then it is kind of the shuttle to get the rest of the brand in there. It's kind of that conversation starter for a brand to go to a retailer and say, hey, I'll give you an exclusive flavor, or an exclusive um, you know, size or multi-pack or, or something like that. And the unfortunate thing about all, all of this is the one that kind of gets hurt in all this is the consumer because they actually – it creates a lot of friction mm-hmm. because then they have to go to multiple retailers to pick up their favorite flavor of, say, you know, Redcon Total War, something like that. Like right. if Aaron put a exclusive in Vitamin Shop, an exclusive in GNC, an exclusive in Vitamin.com, you know. You'd have to go, if you wanted each one of those exclusive flavors, you'd have to go to each retailer and buy something. And that creates a lot of friction with consumers. And then that honestly could create them to go somewhere else or do something different because they don't want to go to three different uh, retailers. So they're kind of unfortunately the, the person that gets hurt in this. I mean, it's also exciting. It's fun. I mean, there's there's that part of it. But there's from the shirt shopping experience part of it, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a friction that creates with these exclusives. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but it's also at the same time, like that's the point, right? Like that is the point of the yeah. exclusive is like, I want the consumer to come into my store. I want that foot traffic. I want them to come to my online website. So um, the, I'll just start a couple examples so people can understand like what we're talking about in terms of exclusives. So Ghost GNC for a long time, exclusive at GNC for a brick and mortar traditional retailer. Uh, Cage Muscle was exclusive at bodybuilding.com for a long time. So was EVL Nutrition, um, Mike's parents brand. Grew very big there. There are certain, like like Josh said, certain flavors that are exclusive. So we can talk about Steve at Natural Body in New York. We'll give Steve a little love. He's got some exclusive flavors of Nutribile. Bodybuilding.com has an exclusive product under a brand. Like They, they formulated an individual product specifically for BBCom. Um, there are formula exclusives of a certain product. So brands might come out with an exclusive formula for brick and mortar versus online. So to Josh's point, it's, been, it's not new. 
it's been around forever. And it's not just this industry. Like at Mills, when I was at General Mills, we created an exclusive version of our cereal uh, for Whole Foods that, that supported honeybees. I mean, it was the same cereal we sold everywhere else in a different size box and maybe a handful of almonds. It was the only difference. But it was made specifically for Whole Foods because supporting a cause and they wanted something special. Like it's not a bad thing. But to Josh's point, from a consumer shopability standpoint, like you might get a little frustrated. But I can tell you when both brands buy in, when the retailer and the and the supplement brand buy into it and they work together, it works great. And I, I say that because look how successful Ghost has been at GNC. I mean, they had one retailer and they grew into uh, millions and millions. I mean, you know Ghost P&L probably better than I do, Josh, because you visited HQ several times. But um, EVL Nutrition, for instance, at Bible.com, like – that built the brand. So um, I want to talk about the benefits now to the brand and the benefits to the retailer. Uh, and, and sometimes there's not benefits. There's a downside to these things too for both the retailer and the brand as well if things don't pan out. Um, but I've been in meetings with Bodybuilding.com. I've been in meetings with brick and mortar stores about trying to get exclusives. And from a, from a brand standpoint, I'll say like the, the benefit is you typically have like a pretty good size P.O., that makes you feel pretty fucking good as a brand that you maybe wouldn't have done through your direct-to-consumer website. Um, sure, you might have to give up a few more points of margin, but um, for th- that's benefit one. Like You might get a pretty decent-sized cash flow coming in through a purchase order that you may never have dreamed of by partnering with a GNC or Bodybuilding.com. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you got to kind of think about as well is you're creating an exclusive product for one person. So you have to kind of think about the relationship you have with that one customer, also the relationship you have with your manufacturer to make sure that everything can be done quickly, and also the sharing of information between you and the retailer because a lot of times you're going to be blind um, going into this if you don't have good data coming back and forth because if they're expecting you to keep a certain amount of um, supply and that's the only demand you're having for that product because it's exclusive, you have to really have – a sharing of, of data and information that you're able to make sure that you can kind of limit your liability and exposure on it. Because if say things start to slow down and you start to continue to produce because they're not giving you good sales, mm-hmm. raw sales data, all of a sudden you have this, you know, five, 10, 15,000 units sitting in your warehouse and you don't really have any other uh, way to get rid of it. And then you, you create a souring of a relationship and then you're kind of left with all this inventory and you're figuring out what do we do with this now? You have to kind of fire sale it and whatever. So there's a lot that kind of goes with both sides. But I think the shiny carrot is something that is definitely uh, a big thing. People see the PO and they're like, wow, I can sell 5,000 units or 10,000 units right off the bat to Bodybuilding.com or GNC. This is a huge PO for me. Uh, I'm going to make 30 or 40% off of this. This is great. I could put this into a bunch of other things. But they have to kind of think about is this relationship going to be long-term? You know, are they thinking about things more than just this transactional relationship? And this is going to be something that is going to build into something more. And as you kind of mentioned, like are both sides putting all their effort into this relationship, into this partnership and being able to grow it? Or is it just, I'm looking at this like a cash register and I'm trying to get out uh, with as much money as I can. Yeah, it's a it's a catch-22 as well from a brand side. I think it's because if you're doing, say, digital advertising online and you're the brand, you have and you have an exclusive deal, say, with bodybuilding.com, right? And I'm doing paid social media advertising. 
do I send consumers to my website where I'm going to recoup more of a margin? Or do I send them to my partner's website, BBCom, where I'm giving up less margin or, or giving up more margin to them, um, but helping that partnership? And those are conversations that brands internally have to have because um, selfishly, you want the traffic to your site. You want that data because every transaction that happens on your website, you own that conversion data. You don't own the stuff that Bodybuilding.com does. They own it. So that's their proprietary information. But what Bodybuilding.com or, or GNC or a vitamin shop or some retailer can do for you that you potentially can't do is put your brand image in front of a, a plethora of visitors. For instance, uh, Bodybuilding.com does like 20 million visitors a month on their website, right? 20 million people could see your brand that month. Can you yeah. do that at your direct-to-consumer website? No, no, you can't. Um, so there, there is a, a bunch of things to consider. And it's not, you know, listening, some people might sit across the desk from these things and think it's an easy, it's an easy answer. Like, yes, we're going to partner with Bodybuilding.com because they're a $200 million company. They do $20 million in traffic to their store. They do $225 million in terms of unique visitors across their entire channels of, between body space form, everything they have. But sometimes it's not the best, it's not the best choice to do an exclusive. And those are internal communications that the brands have to have. And I would, I would actually, I would almost argue, Josh, that I don't think there are many brands in a position to be able to have that conversation with themselves uh, at a confidence level that they should because they don't, they're not sure of those business metrics. Because most brand owners in this space, they're not, they're not business people. Uh, and that's not to be negative towards them, but they don't think necessarily the way that you and I think about things. So that, I think that's part of the reason sometimes these brands like will call you and be like, Josh, we need your help here because they need somebody that can think bigger picture in terms of that strategic vision and, and, and crunch some of those numbers because some people might be like, holy shit, bodybuilding.com, absolutely, sign us up. And then they find themselves in a lot of trouble sitting on a ton of inventory in three months because they're not fulfilling those, you know, the sales metrics that they had thought they were going to do. And now they're fucked. Yeah, I mean, they definitely need to um, think about just all the costs that go into this and opportunity costs and, and a bunch of things that aren't hitting the P&L that just a matter of all sales sometimes aren't created equal. And you need to be strategic on which ones you pick um, because you know they're going to work out over just saying yes to everything and spreading yourself extremely thin. Um, you brought up a point that I wanted to kind of make sure I drove home for people. And this is around like your direct-to-consumer site. And, and if you're running a bunch of digital ads, like does it make sense to drive traffic towards another website. What I'll say is that a brand should always keep like all their exclusives on their website. There should be one area where there's no friction and that's on your website. Like there should be every exclusive on there, every variant, everything on there. Make sure it's baked into the contract so then a consumer could go directly to you and buy every exclusive they want from you. Um, and that might create a little bit of an issue sometimes with some of your uh, sales partners, uh, retail partners. But it's one of those things where you would like your consumer, your customer to really only have that one place where they can go and not have to worry about you know shopping at 16 different places to buy all the things. The, the brand should have access to all of those for their own direct-to-consumer site. And a lot of times, at least early on right now, there's not a lot of websites or brands that are commanding like you know 50%, 60% of their sales through the direct-to-consumer site. So it shouldn't be too much of a worry um, with some of these retail partners. Usually it's somewhere you know 20 to 25% on a top end of brands. So yeah. you shouldn't really worry about it when you're negotiating some of those contracts. It should just be one of those things where you 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 kind of stand on your soapbox and tell them why you're you're demanding these types of things. But you know, going back to, um, you know, some of the things around just making the decisions, like it's not simply about 
the revenue a lot of times. It, it comes down to a lot of different things. Um, just the complexity of your business, every time you add a different variant, um, that's just another thing you have to kind of track and keep it, keep keep care of. So it's one of those things where if you don't have the resources in house, or maybe you don't have the core competencies to really worry about um, operational things all mm -hmm. the time, you need to really think about adding a lot of complexity to your business just because uh, you want to add new exclusive this or exclusive that. On the flip side, it could actually help you as well, because uh, in your case with a ghost, like they have two customers outside of international people. Yeah. You know, you have GNC, and you have direct-to-consumer, and then you have international, which we'll kind of throw to the side. We're not worried about right here. Um, so you eat, you actually create a little bit of an ease because you're not worried about you know playing off of a bunch of like promotional calendars, um, a bunch of other kind of needs. You're like, what am I running on my direct-to-consumer? What am I running on GNC, both online and in store, and kind of simplify it that way? Mm -hmm. I agree, 100. percent I mean, that's why there. Are, I mean, people will give ghost shit for being exclusive with GNC. I mean, it's worked out pretty well for them. So I don't understand why people have such an issue with it. Um, the other thing too, I mean, we talked about this, you know, if you're doing digital ads, run them to either your website or to a BBCom or an online retailer. The one thing that you got to be cautious of too, is if you're a brand and you sign up for say, yeah, we'll, 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 um, we'll commit X amount of spend each month to send traffic to your site. How do you know that traffic is converting with your product? If I'm sending people to BBCom, now they have 200 other brands to buy from. And this is not a shot at BBCom at all, but they also have their signature series line, which is significantly more affordable and inexpensive than most of the brands that they have exclusive partnerships with. And BBCom uses every single free space on their website to promote their own line, right? So like, if you're going to send them to a landing page for a pre-workout, chances are there's probably going to be a BBCom premium signature pre-workout ad for 10 bucks less than what yours is going to be. So it's just something you have to think about. Now, that's not to say don't do it. I mean, but at the same time, like these are things that you can't just automatically say, yep, we can do that 100% because you're going to give us a, a one-time PO. Uh, <clears throat> another thing too, Josh talked about, and, and I'm going to touch on it as well, is like the inventory management. All right. So like you are relying on a third party for that data if you don't have that metric. And sometimes there can be spikes too. And you just, you don't, and if you're using a contract manufacturer and you have to schedule X amount of weeks out, you could really fuck yourself. And there has been brands that have had exclusives with GNCs and vitamin shops that have had stockout issues several times because they just couldn't forecast correctly based on just the, the volatile environment that it was. And because of that, they lost their exclusive contract. Like the, the, the retailer cut ties with that brand. That brand walks away maybe in a worse off position than it, than it came into because now it has this, um, it has this like, credibility or it has like this uh, no credibility to be able to keep up with demand so therefore it might be hard for them to get picked up in other places again for an exclusive deal so it's it's extremely hard when you don't control that data but you also don't control that data either when you're, you're dealing with brick and mortar right because they can submit a po anytime every day but it, it does like when you have an exclusive chances are those POs that you rely on are much larger than Jim's supplement shop down the street, and you plan for that, and either you, you, you don't plan enough or, uh, or you, you plan too much. And then, like Josh said, you're fire-sailing stuff, which isn't, which isn't good either. Um, also, I mean, Josh, you can talk to this probably. Like, the word exclusive is very loosely used, and I mean that because, like, sure, there's a contract – but brands break these contracts all the time. Like if you sign a year exclusive with BBCom or three-year exclusive, I've seen and, and heard of several brands like leaving that contract early, canceling it after six months. But that's almost the same thing with any contract you sign. Like no offense to anybody out there who is a landlord, but like Josh Shaw right now, you could just leave 
and they really can't do anything to you, right? If, unless they want to spend the legal fees, your landlord to take you to court to try to recoup the rest of your lease, which at the end of the day might end up being the same amount or losing money taking you to court. Like those agreements that we sign sometimes are, are fucking meaningless. And it's more of like, uh, I trust you, you trust me type of thing. I, I say that loosely because sure, in this case, there are probably are a little bit more repercussions, but even like advertising contracts that I sign with my, my partners, they could walk off on me. And I, am I going to spend the time and money to try to recoup the rest of that money? To catch, I don't know. It's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, there should be some type of um, clauses and things in the contracts. I mean, on both sides, essentially, uh, if we're talking about like exclusives, there should be some metrics around like, you know, is something in stock? What's the sell through of the velocity? A lot of those things in there, if you're not meeting those things, there should be um, some maybe early out clauses or um, either on the retail side or on the brand side that they kind of bake into there uh, so they are you know, good because you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, I would say that most of like the largest um, kind of brands and the largest uh, retailers, you don't see a lot of them kind of backing out of things unless something's like fundamentally broke down, like yeah. in the relationship or um, or, or you're something, just a dick. Something happened where like <laughs> you know people were were destined to do that. I mean, this I could go back five, seven years ago and I can account for a few of them that just like broke down that didn't make any sense. But if recently I haven't really seen a lot of, and you also don't see a lot more of like exclusives happening. Um, this is more uh, strategic use of it now on vitamin shop or GNC or, or now bottom.com is kind of getting back into it. It was hot, you know, three to five years ago and then it kind of cooled off and now it's starting to get hot again. It's kind of this cycle that ends up happening with, mm -hmm. with these um, different strategies. It seems like uh, depending on which uh, way the wind blows, it seems like the industry kind of uh, goes back and, and forth towards some of these old things that used to happen. Um, so I don't know about like co contractual things like you know, people just saying, you know, kind of fuck you on things, but it, it does happen. It, but it's usually from a souring of a relationship or, or somebody didn't uphold their yeah. um, you know, side of it. Let's talk about the uh, the other sort of like elephant in the room with these exclusivities is the retailer essentially helps you build your brand and then you leave. So it's kind of like, I mean, you've been dating this person for three years and then you decide you want you want to see somebody else. So uh, the use and abuse type of thing. So like I've seen it before. Uh, I, I just use bodybuilding.com because I'm in the online world, but I've seen brands do exclusive with bodybuilding.com. Bodybuilding puts a lot into that brand. Uh, in this case, does not have an equity stake, although bodybuilding.com or GNCs and other shops, they can take equity stake in some of these brands depending on what kind of contractual negotiations they do. But the brand sort of leans on that retailer, gets their brand equity up because of that retailer, and then after that contract's up, they leave and they go off on their own. Um, it's tough from a retailer standpoint because you were doing so well with that brand and then they just leave you after all the work you put into that brand. How could they just leave you, Josh? How could they do that? The funny thing that was happening now is like they're fighting back and they fight back by private label. You have all that sales data about mm -hmm. what was great about you building up that brand and you just knock it off, create your own thing. Um, so that's what you're seeing now where you're having uh, mistrust between brands and retailers. They really... You really need to – any contract you go into, I think both people need to be straight up with what are they trying to get out of the relationship. And based around that, that's how they have to approach uh, that relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not so much like we're going to have this symbiosis like for decades of, of relationship. It's like, okay, what are we getting out of this now? What are we getting out of this? And let's kind of make this work for both of us in the short term and then you know maybe the midterm. And that's about it because – 
private label is going to happen on the retail side, and then brands are going to want to shift based around popularities or how their consumer interest shifts or whatever. So it's really hard for anybody to have like these ironclad relationships for this long time. So people on both sides need to stop being kind of romantic about it all and saying like, well, we built you or, you know, you hear all these things like that. And then they left me. It's like, good, take what you learned off of that and then build something off of that. Why Mm -hmm. are you kind of like crying about it? It's kind of both nowadays it's kind of, you could just run with all the data you got and produce a private label or take that to another brand and use it, um, you know, for the next exclusive brand that make it bigger and better. It's, it's not so much as just, oh, you're left with nothing and you're kind of screwed on the, on the side of the road. Yeah. The only roadblock to that, Josh, the only roadblock is if you're a supplement brand that has created a authentic consumer experience, you can't replicate that through private label, yeah. right? So like, again, we talk about Ghost a lot, but Ghost is a brand that you just can't imitate and replicate for the most part. I mean, they, they are who they are. And if GNC decides to try to create a Ghost lookalike, it's not going to work. It's yeah. not going to work at all. But that's the power, and I guess that's the takeaway here, is if, if you want the power in the negotiation as a brand, you need to really create that experience. And you need to create, create that consumer experience that nobody can replicate. So now you have the power in that negotiation with any exclusive you want to do. You can walk away. You can own the process. But if you're just another lookalike brand who maybe offers like a cool formula, how long until that, that retailer can rip you off? Amazon's been doing it for years. BBCon yeah. will do it. I mean, everybody will do it. Um, so as we as we wrap up this episode, are you a fan of exclusives from 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 a consultant standpoint? You know, I'm always agnostic. I mean, I I find good cases, bad cases, and everything. It all kind of depends on the individual situation. Um, I've seen them work extremely well. I've seen them do very poorly. Kind of just depends on the internal thing. I um, I like from a like a consumer standpoint something new constantly coming out. Um, so from me putting myself just as a consumer, I do like a brand getting creative and kind of coming out with new things. But from a consultant business one-on-one type of standpoint, it's all determined on the individual kind of variance within the companies. How about you? Same. I mean, like, uh, it, so I'm a consumer and I like to be able to shop where I want. I don't like to be forced to go a certain place um, when it comes to retailers. I'm not loyal to a specific retailer by any means. Like there's not a retailer. I don't go to the mall and like have to go to a certain store. So um, I'm not that way. As a brand, again, if the positioning and the strategy makes sense and you can and you have a good plan in terms of a strategy on both sides that can help elevate my brand over an next period of time, sure. But I also am kind of scrappy as an individual. Like if I have a brand, I, I want to... I want to build it on my own. I'm selfish like yeah. that. Like I want to build it on my own and prove that I can do it. I don't want to lean on somebody else to do some of the work for me. Um, but I, I, that's not the fault anybody who does exclusives because I'm not saying if you do an exclusive, you're lazy. I'm not saying that you're relying on the partner to do the work for you. Um, but it's just the way of thinking. So I'm not gonna, I can't come on here and say I'm not a fan of them. Uh, I think I'm more of a fan of like exclusive flavors for like certain retailers. I think that's kind of cool. But when you give your whole line exclusive to somebody, most times I'm not a big fan of it, but I can also understand in certain cases where it makes absolute sense. And in the case of like Ghost and the simplicity of direct-to-consumer GNC International makes running their business a little bit easier, um, allows them to do what they do best, and that is create that consumer experience, the authenticity of the brand. Um, But then some just epically fail for so many proportions yeah. because they, they have these visions and these dreams that are just unrealistic. They think because they partner with X, they're going to be like a top 10 brand, 
right? Like everybody wants to be a top 10 brand at bodybuilding.com. Redcon one is not a, is not exclusive with bodybuilding.com, but they're like top 20 or something like that, right? Because they built their own brand equity through doing yeah. it their own way. So you don't need to partner with somebody to do it. Again, it's not, a, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm agnostic. If it makes sense, like case by case basis, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, I agree. So, so if, uh, you know, I think we're going to see more of them, um, especially in the online world where there's so many different online retailers popping up and you see even like regional retailers want regional exclusivity for certain brands, right? Like we see that too, like certain pockets of like the state of New York. Like I want to be the only retailer in New York City that sells X brand. It's going to keep happening. Uh, if, if it makes sense for your brand, cool. Um, if you have questions on it, I would highly suggest you to reach out to like Josh too and have him walk you through some of this stuff because... It, it isn't just a, uh, a black and white answer. Like there is some thought process you need to put into this and there's opportunity costs, which we mentioned, that you need to think about. Like what are you giving up to get X? And is it worth it for you and your brand? Those are things that you need to consider that sometimes people are just so quick to pull the trigger because we're impatient, we want to make money, um, that we just don't sit and think about everything from start to finish. Yeah, Definitely. If you guys like the podcast, you know where we're at. iTunes, Spotify, our pretty faces are on YouTube. We're over at Facebook as well, Two Guys, One Shaker Cup. Uh, if you're not following Josh on LinkedIn, the dude like posts every piece of content ever on LinkedIn, which is great. I need to obviously – I do it once in a while, but like uh, I, I get all these notifications like somebody liked the status you're posting, and I realize that Josh has posted the episode, and we have like 40 likes and a bunch of comments. Like this is the place we need to be. But we appreciate you guys listening. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review if you've, uh, if you've listened several times. Helps out the algorithm so more people can discover the podcast. Until next time, uh, I'm wearing my hat forward this time. So actually I feel professional, and uh, <laughs> Josh is the unprofessional this week. Let's go. Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.